For those of you that are not familiar with me, my name is Scott. I get to be one of the pastors here at the fellowship, and it's an honor to be able to really begin this new series as we study the book of Philippians, which is really more like a letter to the Philippian church. And its original intention was to encourage and to give hope and to bring joy. And it's interesting, though, that, you know, it, with all the things that have happened in the last few weeks and all the things that we've been mentioning this morning, and I mean, can you not just, just see the presence of God in the song this morning, seeing that the fear is trembling? And the darkness has no hold on Jesus. And there's always somebody there with us. Can't you just feel that Holy Spirit, just that gentle reminder that, hey, I know it's bad, but I'm still with you. And we encouraged by that today. Isn't it amazing that God always somehow just communicates with you at the right time in the right way just to remind you that he's never left you and he's always going to walk with you. Some of us, you know, it kind of brings us back to personal times. For instance, do you guys remember what it was like? Uh, students may not because you've had technology and you text more than you write letters. But Callie and I were talking about this yesterday and, and previously. You remember the time when you used to get cards and letters in the mail? Uh, so teenagers look around the room for some of the adults. Uh, adults, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends. Do you remember that time where your, your, your girlfriend wrote you a letter, your boyfriend wrote you a letter, and you went to the post office? It's a thing where mailboxes are. It's not just in front of your yard. And like you did your combination and it didn't work, so you did it again. And you were just so excited. You couldn't wait to get in there. You were ready to bust that door down because you knew on the other side of that door was a letter from somebody that you loved. You remember those times? How many of you did that? But when, um, when Callie and I were just, we, we weren't even dating. We were just friends. And, and my motive was to start sending her letters to and, and, and date her and uh, was trying to make my intentions very clear. Uh, I would send her letters because she was in Oklahoma and I was in Dallas and, and we, were, we were just corresponding back and forth. Neither one of us had a cell phone with texting opportunities and I don't even know if you had a cell phone. I think I had something that looked like a block phone at the time. But uh, I remember going to the post office every day during the summer because I would send Callie a letter and I knew Callie was going to write me back. I just knew it. And I would go three, four, five times a day just to see what, what did Callie send me today. And I was so mad at the, mail, at the post office and the people that work in the mailroom. was like, y'all didn't bring me Callie's letter. And I know it's back there. I was like, we have nothing. Like, no, no, you have a letter. Go get it. I don't care if it's in like Timbuktu. Go get it and put it in my box right now. I was so excited about this letter because there was just something about it that you just, you anticipated. Like your birthday cards from loved ones. And I mean, I remember the day my, my aunt used to send a, a stick of cinnamon gum, one stick of cinnamon gum. And I thought I had the greatest birthday ever. My grandmother would put in there some money or, or just a word of encouragement. I mean, there was just something about getting a correspondence from somebody that you loved that just like, man, it just makes me feel good inside. You know what I'm talking about? So what we have here is this letter to this Philippian church by someone that truly loves the people that he's writing his letter to. And, and if you're not familiar with Philippi, we're going to throw a map up on here, give you a map. So down here in the, in the corner... Right there, you see Jerusalem, this nice little cross. They made it all nice and special. Right there, that's about the area that if you remember in the corner there, that's about the extent of Jesus' ministry. It's just the right side corner of that screen. But then Paul's missionary journey began to, whoo, hey, there's water there, began to take us began to take us all the way up here where now the gospel is now coming into Asia Minor. It's coming into Asia. It's coming into Macedonia. And at some point, it's going to end up all the way here in the top corner here in Rome. And what we know from the Bible, and some of you have the beautiful maps in the back of, the, of your Bible, you can see how the gospel started right here. But in the time of Paul, it began to go all this way. And if the gospel doesn't come all this way, 
you don't get the gospel for yourself because it was this kind of this webbed growth of the way of Christianity that began to kind of spark a movement and made it into Europe and then Europe and across the seas and made it to the United States. And now we have all the things that started right from this area. And Philippi is right up here in Macedonia. It was started about 80 years before the letter is written by Caesar Augustus. Some of you remember Caesar Augustus. His family member was Julius Caesar. And he starts this colony and he gets it ready because Rome is now taking on basically the Mediterranean. Alexander the Great is from this region. There's a lot of prosperity, a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of gold and minerals and there's a lot of trade that can happen. Many of you that have been to Europe, you, you've seen and maybe you've even dr driven on the road that they created kind of the bridges and, and aqueducts and, and traveled these roads that they built. What's amazing, one of the pastors that was teaching these messages and I was studying some of his, he, he made the joke that I think applies to Tennessee too. It's amazing that Romans made roads that have lasted thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but somehow we can't get 440 just be paved normally. Okay. That's kind of the situation where everything that Rome is touching is now getting bigger and the gospel is now spreading further west. And in the middle of this, there's a church in Antioch that's kind of right in around here. If you see it right around there, that is where we have the first time that Christians are ever called Christians. Because they were little Christ and they couldn't figure it out. So they had to give them a title. And so from that church in Antioch sparked some of the missionary journeys where Paul then goes and plants churches all around the Mediterranean. And one of the churches that is really interesting and why he wrote a letter is that church in Philippi. Because as Justin alluded to earlier, it's the church that probably shouldn't be the one that you write home about. It's not the, most well, it's not the wealthiest church. And in, in some of the, the, uh, the kind of the, the normal routine of Paul when he gets into some of his things, like there weren't a group of men waiting for Paul to get there. In fact, if you look at Acts 16, you can kind of see Philippi started because Paul walked up to a, a, water, a water area and there's a group of ladies sitting there worshiping the Lord and praying. And they're not sure exactly all that they need to do. They just know that they love the Lord. And a lady by the name of Lydia, who was very wealthy, she was a, she was a fabrics dealer. It's kind of like she was the fashionista of the day. She had a home in Philippi. She had a home in other places. She is there, and all of a sudden, Paul says, I recognize the God that you're praying to, and I want to teach you about him and more than you know. And he converts her, and she, she accepts Jesus along with her family and the, the ladies there. And they begin to start this journey. That's not the only thing that happens in Philippi either, because if you follow Acts 16, there's another happening that really we even sung about just a few minutes ago. And the moment is where the jail begins to, to break due to an earthquake. That all starts because Paul and Silas are there and they are walking into the town and they see a girl that is selling fortunes. She is, she is in slavery in many ways that she is possessed. And so they free her from that. And, you know, you know, if back in modern day, you take somebody's cash cow away from them. They're not going to be happy. Sure enough, they weren't happy, and they even turned that whole situation into racism, saying, these Jews, these Jews over here, they are ruining our business. They are ruining our, 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 our way of life, and they're coming in, they're corrupting us. And so they got the mob started, and they threw Paul and Silas into prison, all because they freed a girl of slavery and gave her a new life through Christ. So they're in prison. Many of you know the story. They are singing songs. Who knows what they were singing, if they were singing Amazing Grace before it was written or something. They're having a great time worshiping there in the middle of change, and all of a sudden an earthquake happens, and the jail falls apart. Now, if you and I were sitting in jail, what are we probably going to do? We're running. We're getting out of there. We're going to go jump a boat. We're going to go run to the valley, whatever we need to do, but we are going to get out of town. But Paul and all the people in that prison stayed right there. Jailer comes in. He's about to take his life because he knows he's in trouble. 
And all of a sudden, he's like, wait, 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 don't, don't take your life, Jailer. We're still here. Jailer says, whatever you've done, you are clearly a man of God. And he gets his life right with Christ. He gets saved, takes Paul and Silas to his house. They get baptized. And then, and then all of a sudden, they're, they're forced to leave. And Paul says, no, 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 you force us in, you're going to force us out. So you can come get us, but we're not walking out of this town empty-handed. So they force him out of town, and did he go nice and peacefully? Well, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. He went back to Lydia's house, and he started building and planting a church that we now read about today in Philippians because all the people there began to be encouraged and be challenged. And what ends up happening in this particular letter is we begin to see that they are really firmly not only identifying as Christians, but they are living Christianity to the fullest extent. They are finding ways to support Paul's ministry, even in their poverty. They are finding ways to support and and evangelize the whole region and the whole area out of their just, all I know is this, and we're just going to take it and run. They are doing everything that we sometimes read about in Sunday school and life groups and, and Bible studies and seminars and everything that we've been a part of. They are doing what we are reading about. They're not reading about what they need to be doing. And so now we get to this letter. This is probably, the, and here's some fun facts about this letter. This is the only letter that Paul wrote where he didn't say, hey, I love you, but here's what you're doing wrong. He, the whole tone through the letter is, I love you so much because of this, and I love you so much because you've experienced God do this, and I love you so much, and I'm encouraged by you because God has done this. Every aspect of this letter to the Philippian church is positive. So you know for me, like, like when it's grandma, and grandma writes and says, hey, grandson, by the way, you got this I'm not liking this. You remember what that felt like. But this letter is just all encouragement, all challenging. And so we're going to get into it today because I think what we're going to see here is an excellent response to what current events are. But really for us, it's a challenge of how we as a church need to move forward and really begin to impact the the area and our region and our city and our nation and even our globe for Jesus Christ. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. We're going to read the first 11 uh, verses there. If you don't get on the uh, church, you can get on the Bible app. You can get on the church app. You can find it. We're going to be right there through Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 11. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, Grace to you and peace from our God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all that you, for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment. And in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we look at these, as we look at these verses... There are really three major themes that we're going to kind of look at. Identity, partnership, and dependency. All of these three things are kind of labeled in this introduction to this Philippian letter. 
that we need to identify whose we are and who we are. We need to be in partnership with Christ. We need to be in partnership with one another. And we need to be solely dependent on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Anything else that we're dependent on just doesn't need to, need to be existing. So really for us, the first thing that we're going to look at, that first point, that first really, let's just, let's just kind of put a stake in the sand and see where we are, is where is your identity? Where do you have your identity? Do you know where your identity is? Go back to the first couple of verses of Philippians 1 and 2. Look at those scriptures right there. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the deacons and the, uh, and the overseers, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things I want you to see there, and you may want to underline this. You may want to star by it in your Bible, however you see fit. But all the saints in Christ Jesus. All the saints in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean all the people that know about Jesus. That means those people that have clearly crossed the line and said, I am with Jesus, I am in Jesus, and Jesus is everything about me. This isn't like association because we're in the same location. This is my heart, my life, my mind, my life, my finances, my family, my business, my job, my hobbies. Everything about me oozes the name of Jesus Christ. To those people in the saints in Jesus Christ, those people, here I'm writing to you, and you know about the church of Philippi, let me tell you something, that was every person in that church. There wasn't anybody wishy-washy on kind of a, well, maybe I identify with Jesus, or maybe I identify with somebody. It was all Jesus or nothing. And some of us, that's kind of our challenge too, because that's where we need to be. We need to be all in on Jesus Christ. We don't need to be half-hearted until the news gets bad, and then we're like, well, I don't know if Jesus is real. If Jesus is real in the good times and Jesus is real in the bad times, if Jesus was true yesterday, he's true today, he's going to be true tomorrow, and he's going to be true for the rest of the time, be all in on your identity in Christ. If you doubt even for a moment where you stand with Jesus, then today is your day to say, no, 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 no more. I'm not questioning it anymore. I'm giving my life. I'm giving my heart. I'm giving my all to Jesus Christ. Because as we give our all and you start reading the Bible, then you realize the benefits, the glory that God is going to be able to give or be received through you. And you're going to be able to witness and be a partner in ministry. It's just incredible. But you have to start with identity. You have to start there. You know, some of us, we, our identity is other things. Our identity is in our money. Our identity is in our stuff. Our identity is in our relationship. Our identity is in our politics. Our identity is somewhere on Facebook in the mirror, or the, the image that we try to portray. Maybe it's on another social media, Instagram, something like that. But is our identity truly in Christ? And that's a good question. Because as Paul begins to start walking through here, there's, a, there's something that goes back. Guys, will you put up verse 2 again or just that tail end? Go back to... Perfect. Thank you, guys. I want you to see something. We pass it off like it's, a, like it's a title that we just throw out like it's no big deal. Okay? Grace and peace to you from God our Father. But right here, Lord Jesus Christ. As I was studying about some of the, the ways that Paul would write, this is a very important kind of phrasing that Paul uses. He didn't say Jesus Christ our Lord. And he didn't say Jesus Christ the Son of God. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really important because in Roman times, you had to give your identity and you had to give your loyalty to Caesar. Much like we've had through history. If you're a history person or maybe you just kind of 
tippy-toed your way through history just to get a C, a B, whatever it was for you, you've seen time and time again where people in history, dictators and people that are empowerment, they are making you swear by them because they are your Lord, they are your master, and they are the reason that you have life. You know what I mean? If I have to give a history lesson, we're going to be here for two hours, so let's don't do that. But this is what's been happening here. Paul's saying, look, I know the, all around you, the world is saying, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Caesar is your everything. But here in this identity goes, hey, not only are you saints in Jesus Christ, but we declare Lord Jesus Christ, the person that we serve, the person that we live for, the person that gives us life, the person that gives us hope, the person that gives us joy. It's not found in Lord Caesar. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you identify your identity that I'm in Christ and you identify with the world that Jesus is my Lord, there's nothing but joy and hope that comes after that no matter what the circumstances may be. Some of you, you need to identify what's your Lord. Is your Lord found in your wallet or your calendar? Is your Lord found on what you do on a computer? Is your Lord found in something else? Or is your Lord Jesus Christ? Paul was excited and he was filling with joy. He was in this moment because he said, in Jesus Christ, you have chosen to live and and model Jesus. And it is really paying dividends, not only in Philippi, but literally around the globe. Man, how cool it would be if we were saying, man, that church, that fellowship church over in in Donaldson Hermitage area, that one that's also in Mount Juliet. Man, their identity is so much in Christ. I mean, everywhere we go, we hear about what Jesus is doing in and through those people. We, we see through just the experiences. We're so excited. We got, a, we got a person that goes to the fellowship that's in, our, that's in our, our business, and we're so excited to get to know them because whatever Jesus is doing must be amazing. I want some of that Jesus. How incredible it would be for us, not for our glory, but for the glory of the Lord. Tim asked us a question last, last week. And this is a very good parallel. We, did, we weren't even talking about it. I didn't ask Tim about this, but I was just studying, thinking Tim's question for us came out of Scripture. goes back to last week when he said when Jesus is looking at the disciples, he's like, hey, look, I, I know all the titles, and I know all the things that people are saying, but who do you say I am? And so for us, our identity in Christ, the question goes, I know what you think about Jesus, and I know that you like Jesus, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. And many of you, I know you love Jesus, but there may be just that, well, I love you to a point. I'm asking you right now, who do you say Jesus is and what is your identity in him? How incredible it would be for us to walk out of here not questioning, not doubting, because there's just so much joy that can be found in Jesus. Because once we find our identity, then we get to that second level. And we become a partner in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the question for you is, are you a partner in the ministry of Jesus Christ? Not if you have a relationship. Not if you know about Jesus. But are you in partnership with Jesus? The beautiful thing about partnership is we're working together. That's a big reason why we don't have members. We have ministry partners because members have uh, uh, rights and, 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 you know, territories in which they can be a part of or, you know, things like privileges, if you will. Partnership has responsibility. Ministry partners here at the fellowship have responsibility. We need to be in partnership for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means when we walk outside these walls, are we shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, arm in arm, living out the gospel, or are we reserving that for a few people that happen to be on staff or in leadership? 
If you're reserving it for, for myself and other leaders, Justin and some others that are in leadership on staff, then I'm telling you, you're limiting the opportunity that we have to reach this area for Jesus Christ. We need to be in partnership with one, again, with one another. And I think that's why Paul is so excited about this church in Philippi. And he's so excited. He's just writing this letter. He's like, I'm thinking about joy every time I think about what you're doing because of the display of Jesus Christ that you're doing. We are clearly in partnership with one another. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says, I give thanks to my God every remembrance of you, always praying with joy because of every, in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this. This is Paul. Paul saying this. I am sure of this, that whatever we started really is not what we started, but whatever God started in you, he will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. Completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, how incredible to think like some of us, and don't raise your hand because I don't want you to feel awkward and, and we don't want to make it awkward for you in this moment. But do some of you really struggle with how much you feel like you could do with the gospel. Like I don't, some of you think like I haven't really done much and I really don't know a lot of the Bible. I don't know if there's anything that I could possibly do for Jesus Christ. Do you ever feel like that? Philippians 1.6 should give you all the encouragement that you, you need. That he who began a great work in you. It didn't say how much of a great work. It just says a great work. Because we would know from, from different things, there's small great and there's big great. Either way, it's great. But he who began a great work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. That means if you just have just a little bit and you live it out to the max, then you are going to do something great for the kingdom of God and he's going to complete it in you. And who's to say that's all you're ever going to get to? Like, I only know a little bit. Who's to say? Are you not developing? Are you not growing? The church in Philippi should really encourage us, like, man, if it's a little bit, we're going to we want to do more. We want to do more. You've heard it said before, what's often rewarded is repeated. You get this letter from Paul as a church in Philippi, and he's talking about how great partnership is and all the great things. Aren't you encouraged to go, hey, I want to do more for this. I want to do more for the kingdom. That partnership is just really, really huge. Because we talked about some of the things with the first day. Like, you're going back to verse 5. Says, I remember the partnership that began from the first day. The first day was not great. You're and really truthfully, first day is a phrase, not a then a timepiece. The first time, the first instance of Paul in the church of Philippi, he was in jail. If you're calling that a great first day, man, I can't wait to actually have a great day. But he was so excited because he was encouraged, even in imprisonment, he was encouraged by them. Paul, at the time of his letter, is even sitting in a Roman jail hundreds of miles away, and he's still encouraged. That should tell you all you need to know. Man, if we're in partnership with ministry, it doesn't matter the location or the situation or how much or how little I know about Jesus. If my life is truly identified in Jesus Christ, and I am truly in partnership with Jesus, then a difference will be made, not in the people that I know, but all around the globe. We, the fellowship at Two Rivers, we, the fellowship at Mount Juliet, we must be in partnership to be able to take the gospel in its various forms all around this place. And we want you to partner with us. We want you to share in their joys and the reward of, of God's glory. Not for our benefit, for his you think about some of the themes. You think about the joy. Paul is expressing joy. He's expressing gratitude. And the beautiful thing in verse 1 and 1 verse 6, he's expressing confidence. And some of you, that's what you need. You would be more confident if somebody would just encourage you in the little things that you do in the faith. Let me tell you something right now. 
And I shared this with a couple of folks the other day. If you encouraged one person to come to church with you, and you called them on the phone or you sent them a text, and their response was, I'll think about it. You celebrate that. Because they could have told you no. And they could have blocked you. But they told you they would think about it. So the, now the door and the crack is the opportunity is there. And so you want to start pra- praising the Lord going, hey, God, they're thinking about it. Oh, they're thinking about it. this is going to be good. And you just keep inviting. You keep coming. And they're just like, you know what? I, I don't want to come right now, but I'll come in the future. Hey, let's praise the Lord. Because they're thinking about it. Not only are they thinking about it, but they're talking about coming in the future. And then they walk through those doors for the first time. You celebrate that. Maybe not in front of everybody. Let's not weird them out right at the front door with a lot of people dancing and celebrating. But it's okay if you walk behind them a few steps and give a fist pump or something like that. That's okay. Because we want to celebrate. Because the more that we partner together, the more that we see God experience, we want to do more. And they come to church and they give their life to Christ. And they're now a part of a ministry. And they're now telling their story to somebody else. And that person's coming to know Christ. And it's just a domino effect of what happens when we're in partnership. Don't be, don't be sad if it just takes a while to get going. Don't be sad if it takes Jesus a generation to spark something inside of you. Continue to praise the Lord because God's timing is never wrong. You partner with the Lord and you keep growing and you keep studying, but you keep living. You build that confidence of Philippians 1.6 and you just make it a life verse for you that he who began a good work is going to bring it to completion in Jesus Christ. And I may not be complete, but he's working. And just because God's silent doesn't mean that he's not moving and he's not prepping. He is going to bring that work to completion. I love verses 7 and 8. It says, it's indeed, going back to partnership, it's indeed, it's right for me to think about you this because I've had you in my heart and you are partners with me in this grace, both in imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. And for this, God is my witness how deeply I miss you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I want you to, to put a star, or maybe underline verse 8. I miss you How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Man, how many of you, and again, don't feel like you have to raise your hand, but how many of you would just love it if somebody would just love you deeply with the affection of Jesus Christ? And not to to bring the mood down or or to overdo anything, over-spiritualize the moment, but there's a lot of people in the world right now that they would just love it if anybody would just halfway love them with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I love you deeply. I love you so much that even though I'm in chains 800,000 miles away, I'm still so in love with you because you encourage me. You're encouraging the ministry. You're doing the things. I just, man, God, I love you guys. I love your heart. I love your spirit. I love what you do. I love the Jesus that's coming out of you. I love the spirit that's inside of you. I love what the kingdom is experiencing because you are in partnership with Jesus Christ. And if you would think, wow, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. It's time for you to get in partnership. Stop just coming and being an attender. Come and get in ministry partnership with us at the church. Stop just wondering what it would be like to be in a ministry and get involved. Stop letting somebody else have all the fun. You get in there too and have some fun. Because I promise you the adventure of a lifetime starts when your identity in Christ is, is sure and complete And you get him that identity and you give him your life and say, whatever you want to do from here on out, God, that's between you and me and we're going, we're having fun. The answer is always yes to whatever question comes out of your heart and your mouth next. That is a scary proposition. 
But I promise you there are enough people in here that have the confidence of Jesus Christ, like Philippians 1.6, that would say, you know what? Every time I said yes, God never, never let me down. Every time I said yes, God always delivered. Every time I even thought about questioning, if I remembered what Jesus had done for me, oh my gosh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. When our identities in Christ and our partnership with them, the gospel begins to spread and do some incredible things. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we in biblical community? Are we serving together? Are we growing together? It's one thing to be in community. We can be in community with a lot of different people, people at work, people in our house, people in our neighborhood. But biblical community takes it to a whole nother level. What does biblical community look like here at the fellowship? First and foremost, it looks like we're in Bible study together, growing in the Bible. Studying God's word, bouncing ideas and concepts off one another, not because somebody's a great teacher or, you know, I just want to just sit in the shadow of that tree. No, no, no. We're growing as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're growing in the scriptures so that when we walk out of there, we don't walk out with one man's truth. We walk, about, we walk out of there with God's truth. Biblical community means also walking in life through its ups and downs. The good times, the bad times, the happy times, the sad times, the joy times. The new life, the death, and everything in between. We're walking together. And if there's one group of people you can always count on, it's your church family. That's part of biblical community. Other things include encouraging one another. So that way, like we see about, you know, correspondence. When's the last time you wrote just a little handwritten note? A little card and just sent it to somebody and said, thank you for what you do. I don't know if anyone noticed that you held that door and shook my hand, but I was so grateful that you did because I needed a hello and a nice friendly smile. I know that you prayed for me. I heard you pray at the last Bible study meeting we were a part of, and I just wanted to encourage you. Thank you for praying for me. It meant, a, it meant the world to me. Encourage one another. I keep everybody accountable. Hey, I know that you're living, you're trying to do your best, but let me encourage you with the faith of Jesus Christ. Biblical community, because in that we'll experience life change that actually matters. Biblical community. How do we get there? We answer the third question. What are we dependent on? If I identify my identity in Christ and I realize that I'm in partnership, then I have to realize my identity in Christ and my partnership with him is not based on me. It's based on God and his Holy Spirit. I must need Jesus and his spirit and God and his spirit more than I need my next breath. Because, again, those of you in your room that have experienced this, has God ever let you down? I've let me down and blamed it on God. I've let me down and blamed it on Jesus. Jesus, you should have been there. I had it all set up for you. I did this, and this was perfect. You should have just come on down. Brought a little hellfire and brimstone, sucked that person right out of the world, and just taken them out. God, I told you about that job. That's the job I wanted because it had all the money that I needed and had all the benefits that I needed. I told you, Jesus, you should have given me that job. You didn't give me that job. I'm blaming you. God, I told you about that group of people. They were a gossip, and I told you you should have just did something, give them whatever. But you should have done this because I told you what to do, but it's not about you, and it's not about me. Dependency on God is exactly what it says. It's dependency on God. You think about some of the situations that you're facing, and you're like, man, I wish I had more faith in that, that moment. I wish I had more Jesus. Then I'm telling you, you're not dependent enough on Jesus if you're making that statement. I wish my husband or my wife would do this. Then you're not dependent on God and Jesus to change the heart of your wife or your husband. Or maybe you're not dependent on God to change your heart for your spouse. 
I want, to be, I want my kids to be up great Christians, then you jump in the way and go, Jesus, I'm dependent on you to help me raise good, godly children, good, godly teenagers, good, godly college students, good, godly, uh, godly adult children who we got a late start in life, but I can still make an investment in them. I'm dependent on you, and I am not moving until you move. That is dependency on God. Some of us, we are so dependent on ourselves. We're so dependent on somebody else to fix our problems, somebody else to blame. What if we just said, God, we're just dependent on you. I don't have the answers for El Paso, and I don't have the the answers for Dayton, but God, I know that you are a great God. And I know that you are so amazing that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of what I can't explain, I'm going to be dependent on you to use my life, to use our partnership, to use the identity that I have to speak into the lives of people who desperately need to hear you. And while those incidents may have been hundreds of miles away, they are still my countrymen. And my countrymen that sit in the cubicle next to me are going to be hurting tomorrow morning. How do I encourage them through the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I encourage my child that it's okay to go to school? How do I encourage the teachers and the the administrators and the bus drivers and the crossing guards? How do I encourage them tomorrow and make sure they know that what they do is an amazing thing for the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I encourage my life group that, man, we don't want to just study the Bible. We want to live the Bible. And so I'm so dependent on you to help me do that. I think this letter really is is a prayer for us. These first 11 verses is a prayer for us. It's a prayer for love. If you can't see Paul loving people through Philippians, you may need to just change the tone in which you're reading. Don't interject and be like, Paul, what are you writing to me in the letter of Philippians? You weren't in that church. You weren't there. But you can learn from their experience. And maybe you just need to say, God, as I read this letter, and Scott and Justin and others are going to teach me how much love is coming out of this letter, God, would you love me like this, and would you teach me to love like this? This is a prayer for love. This is a prayer for light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then let this letter be an encouragement to you that there is Jesus oozing from every word of Paul's mouth in this letter. Jesus, how do I become so dependent on you that everything about me screams the light is right there in the dark world? And I help people find you and find life and find love and find hope. And the third prayer is just that, just life. I mean, some of us, we're living so hard. We're living our own thing. We're doing our own thing. But, man, we need the life of Jesus, not the life that the world offers to us. I mean, if that was the case, then things that you would have bought 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, last week would have satisfied you. But some of the things that we already bought didn't satisfy us, so we wanted more because we got to have the life. We've got to keep up with the Joneses. We're chasing our tails, and we don't even realize it. God, I want to be so dependent on you that I depend on you for the very life in which you give me, every breath that you give me, everything that I have, let it be yours. Let nothing in this world, Psalms 24.1, let nothing be of me, but everything belongs to you. And so whatever you grace me with, whatever you bless me with, God, let it be for your kingdom alone. We need to be secure. We need to have true just security in that identity in Jesus Christ. And here's Paul's last remarks, and we'll close with this as we get ready to wrap it up. It says this, I pray this, that your love may keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. 
How, do we, how are we going to do that? One, don't walk out of these doors without a sure identity in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to just know Jesus. Can, can I just be clear? I mean, there's probably a few pastors back in the day be like, what? I don't want you to just know Jesus. I want everything about you to be Jesus. Because there's a lot of people, even demons included, that know Jesus, but they don't live for Jesus. I want everything about you to be for Jesus. Then that's a surrender moment. You come up here to our prayer partner, one of our pastors, and say, I need my identity to be in Jesus and nothing else. So can I commit my life? Can I commit my heart? Can I commit everything about me to Jesus Christ? The answer is always yes. Second thing is partnership. And I want you to pray about it. And maybe the prayer request for you today when you come up is like, God, there are so many things that are blocking me from being in partnership with you. Then you go lay them at the cross on a post-it note saying, God, these are the things that I need your help to remove so I can be more in partnership with you. Whether that's relationship or stuff or job or whatever the case may be. Certain of identity, true partnership with Jesus. And the last one is one that we all have to pray about. That I am so dependent on Jesus that I don't take my next breath. I don't make my next step until I know for certain that I'm relying on God for it. Don't take for granted that we have the next breath. Don't take for granted that we have tomorrow. We may not. We may not. We're not promised anything but right now. But I'm dependent on you that if you give me one more breath, if you let me take one more step, if you let me go one more place, God, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to live it for you. I'm going to celebrate you. And God, whatever you do is going to be awesome. Let me be encouraging to you before we pray. Some of you come in here, and this season of your life that you're walking in, it's difficult. Some of you don't know what I know, and a lot of things I don't know, but I can see it because it's on your face. But I want you to know something. Philippians should bring you a lot of joy because Jesus always knows. And Philippians teaches us if we will just give our lives into the hands of Jesus Christ, that whatever he does next will benefit more than just you. It'll benefit the people around you, and it'll bring tremendous glory to God in the kingdom. So I encourage you this morning, as we get ready to respond, as we get ready to just have this moment of reflection, if you need to come pray and you need to secure your identity, this altar is open. If you want to sit right there in your chair, you want to kneel down, I promise you there'll be people around you. It'll, it'll feel a little weird, but they will probably put their hand on you and just pray with you. I promise it's all in, in just support. It's not judgment, it's not anything. But if you want to come up here, you have privacy, you have confidentiality, you come pray. You want to come and you just want to leave something at the foot of the cross saying, these are the things keeping me from that identity, keeping me from that dependency, keeping me from that partnership. Post-it notes, cards, pens, you put it on there. There's mezzanines up there as well. And say, I am not moving out of here. I'm not leaving this place until I've given you everything and all the freedom and margin to move in my life. And friends, would you do this for me to make the most out of this series? Would you not miss a single Sunday? Make church not optional for the next foreseeable future. Be here. And if you can't be here, make sure that you get online and you watch the service. And you jump in a life group. We're going to have some friends right outside these doors. And they're going to be right out there in the lobby area. And there's going to be a place called Life Group Central. And they're going to be there to help you. And I would encourage you because our, our life groups as well as the sermon series are going to be all about Philippians for the next several weeks. You come dive in even deeper. You come ask your questions. You come say, hey, I need some help understanding what Scott was saying. He said it too fast. Or he didn't use proper English, which is probably both true. <laughs> but you make the most out of this series by growing and going deep as you possibly can in this series. And the third thing is, as you begin to figure out your partnership, then jump into a ministry. You come find one of us on staff and tell us what, you're, what God is leading you to, and we'll begin to pray about where the best place for you is. We'll let you try a few things out. 
but we want to get you in partnership both inside and outside the church. But this time of response, whatever's keeping you from that, this is the place to lay it down. And you just say, no more Satan, no more world, no more anything. I'm only living from Jesus for this point forward.